0: Up. Welcome to iCommunicate on full-service radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Good morning. Welcome to iCommunicate. And uh, we're thrilled to be back here with my buddy Ted. And I just right. want to... Ted, I, you know how sometimes we talk about – remember a few shows ago we talked about people who have amazing voices like James Earl Jones and things like that? Oh, yeah. So, you know, this, this 10-part documentary called Man in the Arena that Tom Brady released and all these shows, the guy for ESPN who does the voiceover, I just crack up every time. It's like It's a good voice. It's not that it's a great voice, but you know how it just sticks in your head the way he does something? So, listen, Ted, today we have a cool show, and, and i got to ask you a question right out of the gate today. I want to do word association with you. When I use this phrase, what comes to mind? Resignation mindset.
0: Resignation mindset. <clears throat> defeat.
1: I love that. Okay, defeat. And, and why do people, how do you arrive at a resignation mindset? What causes you to land on a resignation mindset?
0: Surrender.
1: Yeah, well, what are the things that lead up to it? In other words, if you are carrying around a resignation mindset, how did you get there? What happened to get there?
0: Inadequacy complex.
1: Okay. So I like that word inadequacy because inadequacy implies something's missing. Either something is missing for you personally or something you expected is missing, right? Because if you're resigned to a fate, if you have a resignation mindset, some kinds of expectations aren't being met, whether they're yours or somebody else's or your own, it doesn't matter. Some kind of expectations aren't being met. And so, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was, I was just going to say it's uh, the difference between faithful and faithful.
1: Hmm. Like that. Faithful versus faithful. So today, we're going to talk about, this is the first of a two-part series we're going to do on the Great Resignation, which we're not going to talk about things everybody's already talking about. We're going to take a different spin on the Great Resignation because what's going on in the Great Resignation is you've got 20 million people who have left their jobs in the last year and that trend isn't reversing anytime soon. There's nothing that's happened in the workplace that's really reversing that trend. And it's funny. Companies call me a lot, Ted, and they'll call me up and they'll say, Mark, we're having a problem. Our leadership team isn't communicating with each other effectively. And so my first response, Ted, when someone shares a problem like that with a company from an executive is, no, I understand. Why has it become a problem? And they'll say, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, I can't imagine this just started yesterday, right? It had to have been going on for a while. And now all of a sudden you're calling me and asking me, and people pause and they'll say, well, yeah, that's a good point. It's been going on for a couple of months. And part of what we're trying to figure out today is why, why companies wait until they're backed in a corner to make a change? You know, Ted, tell me if this doesn't resonate with you. You know, don't we have people in our own lives who will go to the doctor not feeling well and, and their health habits suck? right? The way they're stressed, the way they manage your stress is no good. They go to the doctor and said, yeah, you have high blood pressure. And they leave from the doctor and they go, God, I got to make some changes. But if they didn't hear they had high blood pressure, it's business as usual, right? right? And lastly, burnout, right? Because one of the things that has taken over virtually everybody to different extent and degrees is people are feeling varying degrees of burnout. And so it's funny, Ted. I just acquired a wellness company last November. And one of the reasons I did is because it's timely because of how many people are experiencing burnout. And I think to myself, there's no magic pill for burnout. You know, you know I love when companies, Ted, what they do is they'll say, hey, Ted, why don't you take a couple of weeks off? Is that, that's going to fix it? So yeah. you take two weeks off and you're coming back to the same environment and culture you left. Mm-hmm. And by the way, For those of you listening to the show who can resonate to this, tell me the last time you took a week off and that first day or two back brought all the stress back immediately because all the emails you didn't return and all the work that's piling up. Burnout isn't fixed by a week or two off. That's a Band-Aid, and Band-Aids don't fix problems. So when you look at burnout, how did we get to feeling burned out? What were the habits and behaviors that we've been demonstrating for the last several months, maybe even years, that caused us to be burned out, caused us to have a resignation mindset, caused us to have blood pr- high blood pressure. And, and the thing is, Ted, where we're really determined at Mindset Go to make our wellness solution different, and this isn't a commercial, this is a fact, we look at wellness as it's not just identify a problem and put a solution, you've got to understand the root cause of the problem to apply the appropriate solution. And a perfect example, Ted, is, you know, you look at people who don't sleep well. So let's say you're not getting enough sleep. So you you, you seek out a wellness program. You're, you're, you know, the executives seek out a wellness program for the employees at the company who aren't getting enough sleep. Well, guess what? Why aren't you getting enough sleep? Well, it could be because you're, uh, replying to emails two hours before bed and checking screens and all the stimulation from screen is impacting your ability to fall asleep. It could be that you have habits where you can't get work out of your mind and when you lie down to go to sleep, you're worried about, well, what am I going to do tomorrow and what did I not do today? It could be that. It could be that you eat a huge meal before bed. So so this is my point. When people have problems physically with Exercise, with sleep, with nutrition, with the amount of activity, with resilience. There is not a one-size-fits-all solution.
0: No, it comes down to behavior modification.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that I find personally is that when I find myself stressed or full of it for the day, I, I like to say. <laughs> I've had my fill for today. It's You know, I I have... Two perspectives. I'm either looking in or I'm looking out. Now, when I'm looking out, I'm casting blame. And when I'm looking in, I'm accepting responsibility. And most times I get burnt out. And most people in my life get burnt out because of the P word. And that's procrastination. It The stuff stacks up and then you just can't deal with it all.
1: Well, that's actually another great example. And I, and I want to I touch upon what you just said, because I thought that was a critical point. When Ted talks about casting blame versus accepting responsibility, look, there's a thing that we teach called the sphere of influence. And the sphere of influence touches upon three things, two of which people already know, which is control what you can control and let go of what you can't. But it's the third piece that people forget, and that's your ability to influence outcomes based on your behaviors, right? So when Ted says casting blame versus accepting responsibility, there, it's so funny, Ted, you teed it up perfectly. The reason why we're doing a two-part series is because this, this episode of I Communicate is talking about what companies need to do differently. Next week is teaching, talking about employees and their role in it and how they can advocate for themselves and seek out what they want and need to be happy. So that's exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, look there's a lot of factors that go into the great resignation. If we were to do an attribution and one of them is that this has given a lot, the pandemic has given a lot of time for people to think and reflect on what they want in their career, in their job, in their relationships and their significant others. But it's also what they're thinking about. Well said it is what they're thinking about. And to Ted's point That's important because I think we're blaming COVID on the great, uh, we're we're, we're saying that COVID is responsible for the great resignation, and it isn't. It's the great excuse. It's the great excuse. The things that people are starting to reflect on and think about have always been there. Now, has COVID maybe brought them to the surface and the forefront a little bit more? Sure. But COVID isn't the problem. People are becoming more wise and aware, self-aware, of what they want and need. And they're getting to the point where they're sitting there saying, look, it's not worth it. This grind, that's a perfect world. The grind of day-to-day work, if if you're not seeing the value in it, you're going to resign.
0: Do you remember the film in the 70s called The Network? Yes. Go to the window, throw your TV out, and scream, I'm not going to take it anymore. I do
1: remember that. I love that. Now,
0: you know, that's throwing something out the window and blaming the world. When in fact, if you turn the TV off, you're in total control right then. That's true. So look, here's the deal, right?
1: There's three, there's three major buckets that contribute to people's unhappiness. One is we'll call it the stress bucket. And the stress bucket is made up of the demands of the job, perceived or real expectations from the people you work for or work with, hybrid work arrangements. There's a whole bunch, but those are like three majors for the stress bucket. There's the relationship bucket. We call this managing up, down, sideways. It's the people you work for. Do you like your boss? Do you feel valued, recognized, and appreciated by your boss? Your peers, the people you work with on your team— do you value those relationships? And if you're in a leadership position, the team you manage, what do those relationships look like? So that's the relationship bucket. And it's the third one that I think challenges companies the most. And it's, we'll call it the purpose bucket. People like to have a sense of purpose for what they do. They like to feel like there's a reason why they're getting up in the morning. They know how they're directly directly contributing to the company and their team's success. They like to feel like they're growing. So, like, that bucket is the one I think companies struggle the most to address because it feels kind of out there. And it's, it's, it's not like you can say, oh, I get it. You want to have purpose on your job. We just need to do A, B, and C. It's not that linear, you know? So, look. So what could have and should have been done to slow this train down? Well, to me... Wrong question. We are all about growth mindset. So why are we focusing on the past? When we get back in our next segment, what we're going to talk about is what lessons we can learn and immediately strategize and execute on what we can start doing incrementally right now. Because it's not about blame. It's about moving forward and having a growth mindset. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll pick up on that when we return.
0: Now, I Communicate Continues on full service radio 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate.
1: If you'd like to call the show, it's 508-871-7000. And we're talking about uh the great resignation and where where we left off was that The only point in looking back in the past is to learn from it, right? And to understand, not cast blame, but to really learn lessons and learn what can be done immediately and incrementally to stem the tide and reverse the trend of the great resignation. And where I want to start with this is the phrase, it's not my problem, because it's not my problem. If you're a company and you're like, well, I don't really have a problem. Well, first of all, you'd have to know what the criteria was to even identify the problem, but I'm going to get to that in a minute. We see we see this, Ted, a lot with mental health. People who struggle with mental health, especially when it's kids, and you see all these things going on in high schools and all these kids having problems in middle school at the adolescent level, and if you're a parent, you're like, yeah, I don't. that's not my problem. My kid doesn't have a problem with mental health. Right. And frankly, so much of that is I don't think— People understand the broad definition of mental health challenges to begin with. But the point I'm trying to make is, how do you know? Part of why we get to a resignation mindset is, how do we know, is it just we've had a bunch of employees just quit so we have an employee retention problem? Like, this is what I mean. It's the blood pressure thought process, right? So if you're sitting there and you're like, okay, do I have a problem where People are burned out. People don't feel like there's a sense of purpose. They don't know how they're contributing. You know what? Maybe not, Ted, because no one's quit. You know, <laughs> productivity right. seems like it's okay, and frankly, most companies don't really have a valid way to measure productivity or employee engagement, so it's kind of a subjective opinion. Right. So the question is, what's wh- when is it a problem? Is it the amount of employees that leave? Is it the amount of employees that leave in a time span? Or is it if you truly want to understand how people are thinking and feeling at your company, why don't you find out? Why don't you start asking? Because if you wait till it gets too late, see, to me, it's not an amount of people. It's not a time span. It's a culture. It's the culture of your company. Are people enjoying work there. Do people leave work every day exhausted, tired, stressed? Do people wake up every day and they're excited to work for you and to be a part of your mission and vision? These are the questions you've got to be asking because realistically, a lot of people stay at their job because they're too scared to leave and they think it's not necessarily the grass is always greener. But if you get in kind of a complacent thought process and mindset where you don't think it's your problem because people haven't quit or not enough people have quit in a certain period of time, your, your thought process already is a little flawed.
0: Yeah, it's uh, denial is not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> you know, uh, pontooning down the Nile will get you visual, vision, but you have to have your eyes open.
1: And, and you know, I think part of it is, and we're going to start now with kind of the barriers. And the reason I like to start with the barriers on this is because when you're going to change a habit or, or modify your behaviors, you have to identify what could get in the way first, right? Well, you really have to identify the root cause of the problem first, and then you have to identify the barriers. And what I see as barriers with this is there's a few. First of all, when companies invest in a solution or they invest time and money, there's often a need for instant gratification. And there is no instant gratification. If you pay me to come in and do sales training for your company, even though there's a direct correlation in ROI you could make to that sales training where the team starts selling more products or services or their habits and behaviors improve, even that's not going to happen overnight. It takes time. So the first barrier is your expectation of investing time and money in a solution. The second barrier is that you need a sustained effort. So many companies will start out with a solution, they'll bring in a training company, an executive coach, a wellness platform, and they'll work with that person or organization for a few months, and then they'll look at you and go, okay, thanks, this was great, everything works. But if there's no reinforcement, there's no practice, there's no continuous learning, there's no sustained effort. It, it won't work. Ted talked about in the first segment behavior modification. Behavior modification is temporary. If you want behavior, behavior modification to be permanent, you have to understand the root cause of the behavior. You have to understand the barriers that got in the way of making it permanent. And here's the, here's the gist of everything. You know what? When you look at, forget COVID, When you look at pre-COVID, why did people leave companies? I'm going to tell you right now, two of the biggest, if not the biggest reasons, were leadership. And leadership's a big word, meaning they didn't like the people they worked for. They didn't trust them. They didn't believe in them. The credibility wasn't there. The expectations were too high or the demands were too high. The second thing is communication. Ted, we talk about this all the time. Communication's everything. So, if you work in a company, and I'm just going to give a few examples of what I'm talking about to make it real, let's talk about transparency. I hear this all the time from people. You know, I don't know what's going on in the organization. I don't know who's coming, going. I don't know what the changes are taking place. I don't know, uh, you know, what our strategy is, so on and so forth. Communication is also managing sideways, communicating effectively across departments. So leadership and communication, individually or collectively, have always been a significant root cause of why people leave companies. And guess what? If you have reservations about the leadership, communication, or both at your company, you're going to speak up? You're you're going to tell people without fear of reprimand, retaliation, or rejection? Do you know how many people have that fear. And so here we are again. People are quitting. How did we get to the point of the resignation mindset? People made these awarenesses about their unhappiness long before they resigned, but they would have had to have done something about it. They would have had to speak up and overcome their fear of reprimand, retaliation, or rejection. And when we come back in our next segment, I'm going to talk about how difficult it is to create that comfort zone for people to speak their truth and that psychological safety where people can come to you and initiate feedback without those fears. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to I Communicate on full-service radio 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. We're talking about how we can stem the tide of the great resignation and steps companies can take right now to do something about this that will create and facilitate incremental progress. Where we left off in the last segment is we were talking about um, how do we arrive at burnout and resignation. And we said it's because companies, the employees at companies often have a fear of, speaking up without reprimand, retaliation, or rejection. And I promised coming back we would talk about what to do about that. So if you're a leader, the first thing you have to recognize is it's not just about you. If you're trying to create a culture of psychological safety where people feel comfortable to speak their truth, the thing you have to realize is you have to understand what their background is, and here's what I mean. If you grew up in an environment where your parents did not encourage you to speak up and share your ideas, thoughts, and feelings, which in that generation is a lot of parents that didn't really encourage that, you never had a template to know how to do that. It was never encouraged. It was never taught. So as you grow up to be an adult, you wouldn't know how to do that. The second thing you have to realize is even if you did have a parent or parents that did that, you might have come from a job for several years where you had a boss. That didn't encourage you to do that and didn't want to know your opinion and didn't want feedback from you. So, you either have one issue, which is your family culture, the second issue could be your past company culture. And then, before we get to the third issue, so understand if you're a boss and you are the most open, honest, receptive, you model these behaviors all the time, you've got your open door policy. It doesn't mean people are going to come to you to speak up for what they want and need. They still will have those fears of retaliation and rejection and reprimand because they don't know any different. That's how it's always been like, regardless of your personality. So in summary, let's now talk about the third issue, which is the current company culture that you're working in now, which is what we're talking about. So to... To first have the ability, confidence, and comfort level and courage to speak up without fear, you've got to overcome three things. One, I didn't have the family culture that, that denied that. Two, I didn't have past work culture that denied that. And three, I don't have current work culture that denies that. That's a lot, Ted. That's a lot to overcome, no?
0: i got to agree with you that it, it's, a, it's a tall stack. And uh, it really does have to do with courage and resilience. Um, If you can throw the punch, but you can't take the punch, then it's going to be very difficult to improve your place.
1: And, Ted, this is a prime example with what I said in the first segment today about wellness. Okay? So if you've got people... That are burned out, that have high levels of stress, that are not happy at their job. You want me to come in, implement a wellness solution that helps them sleep better, feel better, whatever. But I got news for you. You know what you need as a company? Maybe the first thing you need is me to do a course on self-advocacy and assertiveness. Because at the end of the day, you can't fix problems unless you know they exist And if no one is telling you how they feel and what they want and need, you don't know if you're solving the right problem. And so this is why I come back to all the time that I call it the two-pronged voice. Okay? And this is where, to me, everything starts with wellness. First is your inner voice, your limiting beliefs, your belief system. You know, do I feel like I'm worthy, Ted? Like, do I, if I'm going to speak up for what I want and need, am I worth it? Like, are they going to even want to do it for me? Am I good enough? It all starts with your inner voice. If you have a set of limiting beliefs and you don't have a high self-esteem, self-worth, then already that's a different challenge we would have to work with you on, okay? The external voice is let's go on the premise that you do believe in yourself. You do think you're worthy. You do want to advocate. Well, now the problem is, how do I say it? I don't want to come across as a complainer, you know, I don't or
0: arrogant or
1: arrogant or demanding. So now we've got the external voice. And so this is where and I, I'm I'm intentionally in this segment trying to educate leaders on how hard this is. You know, You've got so many barriers. You've got the family culture, past, cult, past culture, current culture. You've got the inner voice. You've got the outer voice. All these little levels that you have to accomplish just to get to the point of speaking up for what you want and need. And so.
0: Well, there is one thing you should add here. Yep. And that's opportunity. Now, uh, now you know, where I come from, you make your own opportunity and i know that that's uh, passe opportunities should be presented but in a in a open company it's not just an open door policy you have to go through the door yourself extend the hand and say why did that happen what could i have done differently
1: but teddy it's you the word you just said it's it's even more than that in a 'cause cuz when Ted said that, something immediately went into my mind when he used the word opportunity. The biggest kryptonite these days, Ted, to effective leadership and communication in the workplace is time. Mm. People don't stop. Right. So when you say opportunity, I'm thinking you have to slow down enough to reflect, to observe, to hear. You have to look around and go, man, I got to go talk to that person. Not because they have a problem and it's a reactive discussion.
0: When I get the time. When I get the time. And, you know, it's terrible because time is a construct. And it's—and I say that from my heart because I know I can make time to do whatever it is that I choose to make time to do. And and let's take, let's take stress, burnout, wellness, all
1: that off the table for a minute. Here's the typical reaction we see. Excuse me. Here's the typical conversation we see in corporate America right now. Employee approaches leader with a problem. Leader says, what's the problem? They tell you. Leader answers and tells the solution to the problem. Employee walks away. Like, that's the typical reactive Mm -hmm. interaction. Ted, I was coaching a couple of executives last week, and I said to them, do you meet with your team, the individuals to have a one-on-one in your team every week? And they said, oh, we don't need to. I said, really? How come? And they said, well, we're constantly interacting with them during the week. Right. Mm. You're constantly interaction. Question, answer, go away. (laughs) Question, answer, go away. That's what the interaction is. There's not real conversations taking place. There's not proactive, developmental, supportive coaching conversations taking place.
0: Well, you got to go back to the old uh, unidirectional versus bidirectional approach to communication and you know I'm getting down into the mud here but you know it, it, it's it's like when and, and I'm going to get in trouble for this one but when two women talk to each other they can speak at the same time and they understand each other but when a man speaks to a woman he's got to speak and he can't be interrupted because he doesn't feel he's being heard and when two guys talk to each other It's even more intense because it's always the one-upmanship thing. So I'm not saying anybody's better than anybody, but there's certain intrinsic issues in the human communication process. Well... And we have to overcome those in order to get to a point where we can uh, interpret what the other person's saying.
1: Well, I mean, you're you're talking about another... On the pyramid, climbing up the pyramid, another barrier to overcome, right? And frankly, for women, you know, I I see this all the time that if, if we're being honest here, women have it harder than men in the workplace because how they're perceived, you know, if a woman advocates for herself and speaks up for what she wants and needs, it's often attributed as bitchy, needy, high maintenance. If a man does it, it's okay. There's a, there's a real double standard, in my opinion, that exists in the workplace. It's not even my opinion. I mean, there's statistics that prove this out. But it just speaks to another barrier in communication to overcome. And, and just when we're talking about opportunity, you can't solve problems. You can't understand root causes and barriers. You can't create psychological for safety if you don't allow the opportunity to even present itself. Now... Final thought on this before we move on is what I really want everybody to take away from this is that the first thing you need to do, the first thing I'm recommending and suggesting and advising you to do as a company is to ask yourself, are we offering opportunities for people to speak their truth, speak their mind? Are we, do we truly understand where their heads and hearts are at? That's step one. Step two is how to have those conversations that make people speak their truth and feel comfortable. And that's so much of how we coach people is how to help people with their inner voice and how to, people, how to help people communicate externally. So that's where it all starts. There's a hundred other things you could Google on the internet. And all these solutions you can do, you can give people better benefits, you can make four-day work weeks, you know, you can do five, six-hour days, you can do all those things. And at the end of the day, those aren't addressing the root cause of the problem, you don't know if you're solving the real problem, and it's a Band-Aid. So it starts with the two that I suggested. So when we come back for our final segment, we're going to explore this a little bit more, and we're going to talk about the three other major criteria that you should be considering as a company as you implement incremental change. For I communicate, I'm Mark Altman, we'll be right back. Now, I communicate
0: continues on full service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I
1: Communicate. I'm Mark Altman. So, I promised in our last segment we would cover three major things That can be done, and I don't want to scare you when I say major because, you know, word choice, major feels like heavy, big, large. No, major in a good way because they're little things, major, they could have major impact, but they're little things, okay? So let's start with your mindset, and I want to talk about mindset two ways. And Ted talked about it earlier in the show. You can look inward or you could look outward. So the first thing in mindset is COVID didn't cause this. Stop blaming COVID. Stop thinking once COVID is over, this is going to fix. Okay, so your mindset is people are leaving for many of the same reasons right now that they did before COVID existed. And it's about leadership. It's about communication. It's about respect, appreciation, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the first mindset thing. The second mindset piece, this is still part of number one, by the way, is people are not disposable. Stop treating people as supplies and disposable. And, you know, I I was thinking about an interaction I had with someone at a company where they referred to their HR director as disposable. And I thought to myself, are, are you saying she's disposable because, yes, there are other HR directors out there you could replace her with? Or are you saying she's disposable because she doesn't bring anything unique to the table that makes her indispensable for your company? He didn't know how to answer. So when I think of disposable, I think you're looking at it the wrong way. If you see people as supplies and disposable, go the other way, shift your mindset to why is this person indispensable? Like what makes this person indispensable? So that's that's number one is shift your mindset in those two ways. Number two, there's a magic thing called a stay interview. We know what an exit interview is, and for those of you who don't, an exit interview is typically when someone quits or leaves a company, you do an interview with them to understand what their experiences were like, what the takeaways are, why they're leaving, et cetera, et cetera. A stay interview is interviewing someone to understand why they stay with you. Why are they loyal? Why are they committed to your company? And it's a concept that's starting to become more mainstream but reactively, of course, because of the great resignation. And so the second step is do a stay interview. You know, a lot of companies will go to an assessment. And listen, we offer a lot of assessments at our company from emotional intelligence to employee engagement to leadership, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not minimizing the value of assessments totally. What I'm saying is that assessments are a series of typically not open-ended questions that are thrown out to people. What do you like most about working here? What do you like least about working here? And there's all kinds of drop-down options that people choose from. And the problem with assessments is you're asking a whole lot of questions. Often there's not a plan to utilize the data that you have in the assessment. And then once you collect the data, you don't act on all of it. You only act on some of it, hopefully, And then people can get more disenchanted because they feel like they took the time to give you feedback and nothing's happening. Stay interviews, who are the key people at your company? Who are the indispensable people in the company? Who are the stakeholders at your company that are so connected that they represent a significant portion? Because I understand if you have 100 people at your company, you're not going to do 100 stay interviews. That's not scalable. That's not realistic, time sensitive. So you take a snapshot, you take an incremental group
0: maybe to complement an assessment. Yeah, it's a good time to deploy the 80-20 rule. hmm exactly. <clears throat> so doing a stay
1: interview is a second step. As I said, though, in the third segment, there's an art to doing an effective stay interview. And I'm going to give you an example of what I'm talking about. So, Ted, let's say one of the questions that we ask in a stay interview is and i and i do agree this is a good question what are we currently not doing as a company that you feel we should be doing now this is i'm going to actually this is what i call conversation intelligence and this is why it takes a lot of skill to do an effective stay interview so i'm going to play both ends of the role play to Im- to mimic this what are we doing what are, what are we no- what are we currently not doing as a company that you feel we should do i don't know i'm generally happy, I, I, I feel like I can't really think of anything. Now, that's where the leader doesn't know where to go next because the question was asked and it was answered. So where I would go next if they said that is I would go one of two directions. I would say, well, hang on. I know you probably weren't prepared for the question, so take a couple minutes. Think about it. What would be meaningful for you we could do as a company? So now I've asked it a second time in a slightly different way. And then the person says, geez, I I don't know. I can't really come up with anything. So now the leader sure as heck going to go on to the next question in the stay interview. And this is where you look at the person and you do a technique I call heavy lifting. You need to stimulate some thought. So I would have the leader come back and say, well, wait a second. How about when you look at the expectations and demands on your job? Are you comfortable with those? When you look at How you're challenged at work. Do you feel like you have opportunities for growth? Do you feel like you're recognized and appreciated on a regular basis? Do you feel like you have enough interaction with your leaders? So now I've given two or three examples to stimulate some thought, and now they go, you know what, come to think of it, yeah, I do feel like there's a lot of expectations in my position. So when you do a stay interview, when you use conversation intelligence, there's a there's a, a skill set in getting people to open up, and getting people to feel comfortable, in drawing information out of people because maybe they're not on the spot critical thinkers.
0: You're you're it's extremely valid to say that people do not think on their feet as often as you would expect yourself to, especially if you're running a company because that's part of the job. Um, When you confront someone like that and you ask them a question, it's all over their face. And you can tell they're not prepared to answer the question. And the best technique is to say, you know, while you're thinking about that, let me tell you what my interpretation of that question is. that's I like that as well. And then answer honestly. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I like to go down to the... Um, cafeteria and get the blueberry muffins, but they're not always there. Right. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it's, it gives it a little levity and then say, but, you know, and then add something serious.
1: Yeah, and so, agreed. And so the final thing I want, because I promised there were three and I want to just, we're, we're running out of time, so I want to cover the fourth one. And the, or the third one, excuse me. And the third one is the role of emotional intelligence in nonverbal communication. Because you can ask all the right questions, you can do the heavy lifting, you can foster psychological safety, but you know what? If your nonverbal communication stinks and you're not self-aware of how you're modeling behavior and how you're showing up in that conversation right then, it's all going to be for naught. So think about that. Improving your emotional intelligence, improving your nonverbal and verbal communication skills. So Bottom line is there are very incremental, simple steps you can do. I hope you learned a lot from what we covered on the show. If you want more information on how Mindset Go can help you stem the tide of the Great Resignation and improve the leadership and communication at your company, call 978-793-1159 or email info at mindsetgo.com. Ted, thanks for everything. We'll see you next time.